Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our Sunday school lesson. And we are uh, doing this for November the 14th of 2021. November, Thanksgiving. Are you giving thanks to the Lord now? That ought to be a normal part of the Christian life, not just something we do. However, I am grateful for that holiday. It's uh, one of my favorites. And I like it because uh, Thanksgiving doesn't have uh, a lot of the, I don't know, the trappings and all of the stuff that go along with other holidays. I mean, even Easter, as much as I like that, uh, you know, by the time you get all of the other stuff that goes with us, it's quite a distraction from the resurrection of Christ and Christmas, you know, the birth of Christ. I'm all for celebrating Christmas. I love Christmas, but boy, there's a lot to it. It takes up a lot of time. It costs a lot of money. And um, the thing that I like about Thanksgiving is basically, what do you do? You get together and you share a meal. It's just simple. It's biblical. Uh, we're all through the scripture. They were sharing meals together, so there's nothing wrong with that. And then the Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so uh, that's something we ought to be doing all the time. And so it's kind of a once a year reminder of what our lifestyle ought to be. And I would just encourage you during the month of November, use this time and use the holiday to cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving. Or if I wanted to be, uh, wanted to rhyme it, I would say an attitude of gratitude, right? And let there be times of rejoicing and praise and thankfulness. I was uh, frustrated one time. It was a cold morning in January and uh, I was on my way to church and I looked at my gas gauge. Good thing I did. And it was down on E, you know, where it's the little light puts up and uh, comes on and uh, you go, ah, I better stop. And I was frustrated. The wind was blowing 90 to nothing. It was freezing cold. And I think the wind chill was like 20 below zero and I had to stop and get gas. And you know how you do on that? You're kicking yourself because you didn't do it before. And uh, while that gas was going in, I got under conviction. And this verse came to my mind, and everything give thanks. And so I started doing, you know, this. Father, I thank you for this cold, horrible, freezing, nasty, overcast day. And I thank you that I'm standing. I mean, that's what I'd kind of been taught to do. And as I did all of that, I got to thinking more about the giving thanks. Lord, I thank you that I am able to withstand the cold out here. I thank you for your faithfulness in bringing the various seasons so predictably that the weatherman can actually forecast it. I thank you, Father, that I have warm clothes on so that I'm not going to freeze to death. I thank you, Lord, that I had a warm bed to sleep in last night. I mean, see what I mean? And then as I thought more about it, I thought, thank you, Lord, that there is gasoline in this pump to put into my truck so that I can drive on to the church. And then I thought, thank you, Lord, for the people that pull it out of the ground and for the people that refine it, for the people that put it in trucks, for the people that drive the trucks. And then all of a sudden I got to thinking, thank you for the roads that we have and the people that build the roads so that the guy with the truck with the gasoline and it can bring it up here. Man, I started thinking about everything. And you know what happened? By the time I got to the church, my whole attitude had changed and I was a thankful person. Be a thankful believer because there are all kinds of things 
to give thanks for that we just take for granted. And also, um, I won't be able to join you this year, but uh, as we think about Sunday nights with the P-L-O-W, um, that one for O is for outreach. That's the night we're having our churchwide Thanksgiving dinner. And so on that night, bring lost friends, bring lost family members. I mean, surely you can get a bunch of people to come and eat uh, turkey and dressing and all of that. Makes me hungry thinking about it. But that night is going to be, uh, that's going to be our outreach. And so uh, we want you to do that. So be thinking now and praying for people whom you can invite and invite them early enough so that they don't have a schedule conflict either. And the other thing, too, is you'll be gathering here in the auditorium. And my son-in-law, Jeremy Davis, is going to be here that night. And he is going to be sharing the gospel with everybody before we go back and eat. So uh, it's just a great opportunity. Just take advantage of it. This is, this is the easy, easy way to witness if you really want to get down to it. You don't have to say a word to them except say, come eat a turkey drumstick. And they say, oh, I think I could do that. And you know they're going to hear the gospel and let Jeremy be the one that uh, takes the heat if they want to contend with anyone. But you know Jeremy, he's got such a great personality. But more than that, he loves the Lord Jesus. And uh, he's in seminary now at Midwestern Seminary. And by the way, uh, Isaac has just started seminary uh, classes as well. So pray for those guys and help them out any way that you can and uh, pray that they would learn and grow and be, uh, you know, filled up with the truth. And um, it just helps. And uh, pray that um, they would be used by God in a great way. But understand as Jeremy comes, he loves the Lord and he loves Graceway and he also loves lost people and he'll be sharing the gospel that particular night. Okay. On to the question, I can hear you saying that now. What are the sacraments or ordinances? Okay, Baptists, don't let that trip you up too bad. And understand that most other denominations call what uh, we call ordinances, they call them sacraments. I appreciated the fact that even though uh, it's mainly Presbyterians that did this catechism, that they did say, what are the sacraments or ordinances? I didn't add that. They, they were the ones that put that in there, knowing that there would be some Baptists looking at this. Well, the uh, answer on this, uh, probably a lot of you know it, the sacraments or ordinances given by God and instituted by Christ, namely baptism and the Lord's Supper, are visible signs and seals that we are bound together as a community of faith by his death and resurrection. By one, uh, by our use of, the, of them, the Holy Spirit more fully declares and seals the promises of the gospel to us. You know, I used to think that, uh, you know, the more I keep talking about the way I used to think and everything, you're saying, man, you were, you were dumb when you were young, weren't you? I kind of was. Because I got the idea that the gospel was just for lost people. And I didn't really see much need. Somebody would get up and preach, and they would preach about Christ's death for our sins. And, you know, I, I just let my mind wander into uh, regions undiscovered. Because I didn't think I needed that, and I didn't think that applied to me. In fact, after I got saved, 
And after I was even studying for the ministry, I kind of had, I don't think I'd ever say this, but the preachers that would preach the gospel were the guys that really didn't want to study the Word of God. You know, what are they doing? And there are some people that um, you, you go to their church, and I mean, every week it is get saved, get saved, get saved, get saved, get saved. And on one hand, there's nothing wrong with that. On the other hand, uh, believers aren't going to really grow by that, are they? And yet at the same time, even if you're preaching something that's really, really deep, like the doctrine of election, is the gospel not in that? And even in the way where the Bible tells us how we ought to live, how we ought to think, how we ought to treat other people, do we not actually see the gospel in that? And I've come to understand in my wise old age, see, I've got this gray beard, that means that I'm wise. Um, I've come to understand now that the gospel is the foundation for everything in the Bible. God wants us to know it. He wants us to rehearse it. He wants us to remember it. He wants us to live in light of the gospel. And that humility that brings me before a holy God to say, I could never satisfy your just demands. And only Jesus could do that. And I repent of my sins and I put my faith in what Jesus did for me on the cross. And I believe that he was raised from the dead and I surrender to his lordship. Oh, save me. Or whatever it was that I prayed, because I don't really fully remember, but it was something like that. When I think about the humility that was in that, when I think about the submission that was in that, when I think about the joy and the good news that was in that, that time that I was saved, should that, should that not be the way a Sunday school teacher thinks when they think about the honor of getting ready to teach a class? And I would say to you, the gospel would humble you and bring you joy and submission to the Lord at the thought of teaching some of his people the word of God. That is not something to be taken for granted. In fact, in the book of James, it says that teachers are held to a stricter judgment on that. Because this is something that we should never, ever just go, ah, I'm going to teach, I'll get it at the last minute. This is a big deal. And the gospel would inform us of that. So teach the lesson and teach your class in a gospel way. And that would be the same for me as I preach or Brother Dale when he leads the music or uh, people singing in the choir or people playing in the orchestra. But I'd also say this, that's the way you're supposed to sit and listen in the congregation. That's why you're to uh, make yourself available to the preaching of the Word of God whenever that is. We're to be hungry for it, and we're to listen for it in a gospelized way. But how about this? It also, the gospel is the way you're supposed to treat your husband or your wife. You know, if you were witnessing to somebody, I don't think any of you that are watching this I don't, I don't think you would get up there and yell at somebody and say, you filthy sinner, you're on your way to hell. You better listen to me or I'll punch you in the face. And yet that's kind of the way we sort of talk. Hope you don't hit your wife. But uh, that's kind of the way we talk when we raise our voices to one another as husbands and wives. Instead of the humility, instead of thinking this is a gift, this person is a gift of God for me, I need to treat them as such. Instead of thinking in such a way of where would I be without this person? Now, I do know marriages can deteriorate to the point where that's like a long lost far off dream for some people. Hope that's not the way for you. But uh, read Paul David Tripp's book 
on marriage, and it's called, What Did You Expect? And it basically is talking about what happens when two sinners come together and they clash. Read that. It might help you if you're in that situation. But we ought to talk to people thinking about ourselves, thinking about our depravity, thinking about our sin, thinking about the kindness, love, and mercy of God in our life and the sacrifice that he made for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. That would revolutionize some marriages, wouldn't it? Even the discipline that we have for our children, recognizing that they're not the only sinner in the house, but sometimes we make them feel like they're the only ones that are doing anything that's wrong and that's why they're getting punished and we're so harsh and sometimes maybe even a little bit cruel in our punishment. No, I am not saying I don't believe in corporal punishment. I do. And no, I'm not saying that I don't believe in being firm with your children because I do believe in that. And uh, the third thing I would say in that is it's not your job to be your child's friend. You are to be their parent and shepherd them. Enough said on that. But as we do that, Remember in the Psalms, it says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. And uh, it came to my attention when I was raising my children that I might be a firm and strong disciplinarian and I might even be right occasionally, but I have no right to be cruel or harsh or unloving. In fact, I need to have pity or compassion on them while I'm doing it because they're not the only one who has sinned. Good old dad has sinned plenty of times as well. How does the Lord treat me? And so the gospel is a part of everything that we do. The way that we treat people when they cut in front of us on the highway. Your horn is not a good representation of the gospel. Your language and your fist in the air is not a good representation of the gospel. Let's think a little bit and let the gospel permeate every part of our lives. Now, Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says, We were buried therefore with him, and notice it ties it to an ordinance, by baptism into death, in order that, there's a purpose again, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And that's why you hear so many people when they baptize, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. That's a picture that helps us understand something. Because baptism by water actually is a picture of what the Holy Spirit did for you at the moment of salvation when he immersed you into Christ. And that's what it means to be in Christ. In the book of Ephesians, over 40 times, the apostle Paul writes, in the Lord or in Christ or in him, something like that. Why is that so important? Because to be in Christ is to be saved and to be safe in him for eternity. How, how come I know I'm going to heaven? Because I'm in Christ. How do I have hope for this life? Because Christ in me, Paul said, is the hope of glory. Shoo, that is so good because that means my insides and my outsides are all taken care of because I am in Christ. Baptism is a picture of a lost sinner dying to self and being buried with Christ in baptism, identifying in his death, burial, and resurrection as full payment for his sins. It kind of preaches the gospel, doesn't it? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as full payment for sin. It also is 
the testimony of I was dead and I'm buried to my old life and I'm raised to walk in newness of life because that's what happens when you get saved. You're raised from the dead to walk in newness of life. And it pictures what the Holy Spirit did for us at the moment of salvation. He baptized us into Christ and into the body of Christ. I'm thinking about um, the other ordinance too in Luke chapter 22, 19 and 20. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, when he talks about that, that that key phrase in there is do this in remembrance of me. Now, Roman Catholics take that verse where Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, when he had the bread and the cup, they say that's literal, that every time they celebrate the mass, they call it a Eucharist, that that is when the priest prays a prayer and the bread changes into the literal, literal body of Christ and the wine changes into the literal blood of Christ. Now, first of all, that's illogical because Christ said that while he was still the container for his body and blood was right there for him. He was there. See what I'm saying? And uh, that wine could not have possibly turned into his blood because he hadn't shed it yet. His body had not yet been broken. That's a symbol of those things. Now, Protestants rejected that idea and they said, no, there's no fresh sacrifice. The book of Hebrews says Christ was offered once for all. And Catholics teach that every time they take the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, or celebrate Mass in that, there's a fresh sacrifice of the body and blood of Christ. That's not possible. The book of Hebrews says, one time for all. But the Protestants, Lutherans, Presbyterians, those people who actually protested, that's where the word Protestant comes from, they protested against the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, They don't believe that, but they believe in another thing that uh, teaches that There is a a mystical, sweet, um, stronger presence of Christ in the bread and in the fruit of the vine. And so uh, we commune with Christ all the time. We walk with him all the time. But boy, when we take the Lord's Supper, there's something special about that. Now, I don't disagree that there's something very special about it. But uh, the Baptist position on this is this is not a sacrament because sacrament implies that it has something to do with salvation or it is some way of extending grace to people. However, an ordinance means it is something that the Lord has ordained or ordered for us to do. And why did Jesus want us to do it? Well, he said, this do in remembrance of me. It's a memorial because we need to be reminded of the gospel constantly. Sometimes I think we ought to do the Lord's Supper more often, and we do do it more often than the typical Baptist church. Traditionally, Southern Baptists have done the Lord's Supper once a quarter. We do it six times a year. And uh, the, the, the kind of the tricky part of, of it is don't do it so often that it loses its meaning, but don't do it so seldom that uh, you're not constantly reminded of the gospel. So we may even adjust and do it more often 
in the future as we feel led of by the Lord. But the key is how you take it, how you take the Lord's Supper. And that's why Paul said you've got to examine yourself. And it's not an examination to see if you're worthy because you're not. It's an examination to see, am I really gospelized? Am I fully understanding what Jesus did for me? Am I trusting in that 100%? It's a good chance to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith or not. And also to check yourself to see that even as a believer, have you become just a legalistic robot doing the things that you do, but not really having your heart in those things? So... Um, that's why we call them ordinances rather than sacrifices. A little bit different belief in that. And I don't think that Lutherans or anything, I don't think that's a heresy. I don't think that's a point of division. Just a different way of looking at it. And uh, that's one of the reasons why Baptists call them ordinances, okay? Uh, this do in remembrance of me. So, point one, here you go little redundancy, the ordinances cause us to remember. Ordinances cause us to remember. This do in remembrance of me for the Lord's Supper. And is there a believer anywhere that whenever he sees a brand new Christian baptized that he doesn't think back to his own conversion? And that's why the ordinance has the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. We don't mess with that. We don't take it with Dr. Pepper and potato chips and say, ah, it doesn't matter. It's just a memorial. No, we do it right. We don't mess up the picture. And uh, we do it like that because we want to honor Christ and remember what he has said. We baptize in water by immersion because that is the picture. And uh, that's the way we do uh, baptism in order to remember what Christ has done for us. Okay. Uh, point number two, the ordinances cause examination. Okay. And uh, as I said earlier, that's always a good thing. The verse that uh, I have tied to that is 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Let a person examine himself then and also eat of the fruit uh, or eat of the bread and drink of the cup, pardon me. Now notice he didn't say examine yourself and you better not eat it and you better not drink it. And that's kind of what I've heard preached over the years. We just need to not take it casually and not take it as a ritual. And that's hence why we don't do it every Sunday because then we get to where we take it in what he calls an unworthy manner. And what is the unworthy manner? He talks about not discerning the body and the blood of Christ. And that's when we don't stop and think about what Jesus did for us. It would be like I'm holding the cup in my hand and I'm holding the bread in my hand and I say, oh Lord, I examine myself. Yep, I prayed every day. Yep, I witnessed to some people. Yep, I gave a tithe of my income. Yep, I was in church every time the doors were open. Yep, I read my Bible every day. Ah, oh, I feel really good about taking this. That is not anything close to what Paul had in mind. Am I trusting? Am I trusting in Christ? Do I see my sin? Do I see my unworthiness? Do, my, do I see my wretchedness? And do I understand that it is only because the body, the sinless body of Christ was nailed to a cross and the blood was applied to the mercy seat in heaven on my behalf by a risen Lord. That is my only hope. And then I can take it and I can freely take it 
and I can take it with great joy. But you know, if I realize I'm not trusting in Christ, that'd be a great time to get saved at a Lord's Supper service. If I realize that I have drifted away from those things and I'm becoming a legalistic robot, just going through the motions, that would be my chance to come back and say, oh Lord, I want my heart to be renewed in all of this. Like David prayed in Psalm 51 as he prayed for cleansing and he also prayed for uh, the Lord to renew a right spirit within him. We need to pray that and think about that as well. We also need to think about the fact that it's so easy for us to judge everybody else. I'm well aware of your sins. I may not be quite so aware of mine. We all have that tendency. We can tell when somebody else is not walking with God. Buddy, we can tell that. We can see their compromises. We know all of that but we don't see our own because we have wicked and deceptive fallen hearts. And so this is a time for us to take a look and let the Lord examine us. And so this is about renewal, about revival. This is about something that really refreshes us. And another R word, it's in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. They picture Jesus and what he has done for us. And by the way, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 tells us we are to examine ourselves, not just at the Lord's Supper, but to see whether we are in the faith. Test yourselves is what it actually says. Now, number three, the ordinances bring thanksgiving. Now, you notice when you read in the gospel accounts about Jesus with the bread and with the cup, he was very thankful. In fact, he offered a prayer of thanks. And uh, Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, for I received from the Lord that what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed. You might ought to underline that. That's amazing. That he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. And he did the same thing with the cup. I would think if I were Jesus and I knew I was headed for the cross and I was in the act of being betrayed by one of my disciples, the last thing on my mind would be leaving an ordinance behind for you or anybody else. And yet he did. The other thing that I think is even more striking is when he took that bread and when he broke it, he knew that was symbolic of him and what he was getting ready to face before Pilate and certainly on the cross. And yet when he broke it, he gave thanks. He gave thanks. I don't know very many people that say, I'm getting ready to have surgery or chemotherapy or something like that, so I better stop and give thanks. We just don't do that. If uh, you were in a car wreck and you saw the car coming, running the red light that was going to T-bone you, would the first thing out of your mouth be, oh, thank you, Lord, for that? I don't think so. And yet the Lord on this tragic, horrific night, when he is going to suffer beyond our comprehension, physically, mentally, spiritually, especially, and yet what does he do? As he's breaking that bread, he gives thanks. As he's pouring the fruit of the vine, what does he do? He gives thanks. That just amazes me that he would be able to do anything like that. And if he could do that in his situation, we certainly could in ours. We have a lot 
to be thankful for. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that in the last days, he said, understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. You know, times of difficulty. This is where I think uh, this particular translation, the ESV, is, while it's accurate, um, it's much more descriptive and attention getting like in the King James. But in the latter days, perilous times will come. That kind of perks me up a little bit more. And that's the same idea. Difficulties, perilous times will come. Well, what do you mean, Paul? For people will be lovers of self. They will be lovers of money. They will be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Well, that sounds familiar. That's just about everything we ever hear about our own culture. But then he says, in addition to that, ungrateful, ungrateful. And then he has some other things to say as well. Hey, Christian, are we taking on the characteristic of the world of being ungrateful? The ordinances remind us to give thanks to the Lord. And we're supposed to be thankful in everything And so uh, we need to remember that, especially at the times of observing the ordinances. And by the way, the ordinances are commanded by Jesus. You should not skip just because, ah, it's only the Lord's Supper or something like that. Shame on you if you are a Christian for thinking like that. This is the Lord we're talking about in remembrance of him. And uh, number four, the ordinances bear witness of the gospel, of the gospel. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's out of 1 Corinthians 11. Jesus said, do it in remembrance of me. Paul said, do this to proclaim his death and his resurrection until he comes. That's an amazing thing. It's a privilege for us to be able to do that, do this. So baptism and the Lord's Supper to make this clear, are only for the saved. Don't give it to your little kids and don't come and try to baptize your kid just because you think it'll make him safe or give him points in the afterlife or something like that. This is a testimony time. I'm trusting in the body and the blood of Christ for my salvation. In the baptistry waters, I'm trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection for my sin. But it also proclaims it. Um, Whenever you have a baptism, there ought to be a lot of guests here. Family members ought to be invited. Well, they're lost. They wouldn't understand. This is a way of proclaiming. And even when you're in the Lord's Supper service and you feel bad because your little kids can't have the little thing of grape juice, which probably would disappoint them if they got it. But uh, it's an opportunity to explain one of these days, one of these days when you trust the Lord, you can take this. But it's not about taking this supper. It's about what it means. This bread reminds us that Jesus came like we celebrate at Christmas and he put on flesh and he lived a perfect life for us. That's why it's so flat. It doesn't have any yeast in it, no sin. And what we're going to drink, the grape juice, represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning that he died for us and he paid for our sins with his death. And you can explain the gospel to them for that. And so uh, these ordinances will certainly do that. And so I want to encourage you to think twice about baptism and about the Lord's Supper. And by the way, if I'm talking to someone that um, 
Maybe you were baptized as a baby. Maybe the priest or the minister sprinkled some water on you and later you came to know Christ as your Savior and Lord. May I just encourage you to submit to water baptism by immersion and give that testimony and follow in obedience to the Lord. Maybe um, you were immersed, but maybe it happened. You came home from VBS or a camp or something like that, and several of your friends were getting baptized, and so you got baptized too, and um, you've been saved since then. Let me, just, let me just tell you scripturally, you were just dunked that other time. Now you need to be baptized. That was my testimony and my experience as well. And uh, whenever you hear about a baptism or participate in a baptism, let joy fill your heart. And whenever you uh, hear that we're doing the Lord's Supper, be there and be there early and anticipate uh, what is going to happen because you're going to have the chance with your brothers and sisters in Christ to remember the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender to his lordship in a fresh and new way. So these are instituted by Christ, and because they are, and because we are commanded to do so, then we don't dare neglect them or to try to change them or modify them in any way. We want to do them the right way. Now, obviously, there is some modification. Jesus didn't say go to a lake or go to a river and baptize. Um, he was baptized in a river, and that's a wonderful thing. In fact, I think if I ever go to Israel, I might just get baptized again. Wouldn't hurt anything, but it'd be kind of cool to be baptized in the Jordan River. But he didn't say that. And he didn't say um, when he took the bread, all of you take this from one piece of bread, or we would be passing around a piece of bread and breaking it off more like he did. And he didn't say, thank the Lord for this, that we all have to drink out of one cup. Um, man, I'm, I'm grateful for those little bitty things. We've modified it to some degree. They didn't pass out gold plates with little bitty things in it that would hold the, the juice or anything like that. They didn't have a, a tank with heated water in it where they could baptize. The first church I pastored didn't have a heated baptistry tank. Oh, man, it was cold. I was so glad I had waiters on and I felt so bad for those uh, candidates. And so we uh, told them, your nickname is you're the frozen chosen. Make some t-shirts. Um, that was rough. And I'm glad Jesus didn't tell us we had to do it precisely like he did. Um, but we sure want to do that in using the uh, um, materials for the ordinances and in the symbolism of the ordinances. But there are other things we can do. But we don't want to miss with the meaning of it and the symbolism of it. Got it? I hope that makes sense. And maybe that helps you understand a little bit more when we do these things. So thank you for your time. And teachers, God bless you. And as you uh, teach this lesson, you might think about that. Uh, what we do matters so much and is done in obedience to and remembrance of the Lord. Let that let that really be the thing that sinks in out of all of this. So God bless you, and we hope to see you soon, and hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful week in the Lord.